This week, I'm talking with another fellow Drexel Dragon, my friend James Varghese. Even though he doesn't work in the hospitality industry, he is super passionate about people and their experiences. He works with small business owners to understand their experiences, both with his company's products and services, as well as learning about what we as small business owners go through. I'd like to congratulate James as he was recently promoted to an associate customer experience leader for FinTech products at Intuit in Mountain View, California. His employer Intuit is a global technology platform that helps customers and communities overcome their most important financial challenges. Serving approximately 100 million customers worldwide with TurboTax, QuickBooks, Mint, and Credit Karma, Intuit believes that everyone should have the opportunity to prosper. For the latest information about Intuit products and services, please visit Intuit.com or learn more on social networks such as LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And as a disclaimer, the views expressed in this episode are that of my guest, James Farkies, and myself, MG, the venue specialist. We switch gears towards the end of the episode to talk about weddings. More importantly, about the black tie wedding in Sleepy Hollow, New York, we had coming up during the recording of this episode. Our friends Nick and Stephanie had to move their wedding a few times due to COVID, and they rescheduled for the Tuesday after Halloween. James was a groomsman in the wedding, and he talks about how he had just gotten fitted for his tux. Several of us were renting dresses from Rent the Runway, including James's wife, Ellie, who looked incredible in her green sequined gown. Because one never knows how they're going to look and feel in a Rent the Runway dress, I brought a backup dress just in case. Back in 2008 or 2009, when friends from college were starting to get married, I picked up this blue gown that was on sale from Express, thinking I'd have a wedding to wear it to, but it always felt too formal. And full disclosure, I can never find the right undergarments, which is super important. I'm glad I bought it because my Rent the run Runway dress wasn't the perfect fit, but this blue gown finally got its chance to shine. After two years of comfy and cozy loungewear, it was fun to be fancy and formal attire for the night. Oh, and that dance floor. I forgot how much I missed the wedding dance floor. And I forgot how much I missed my friends that had moved out west years ago. It was great to see everyone in person instead of over Zoom. Since this was going to be one of James's first major social events in a few years, he opens up in this episode about feeling a bit anxious and rusty after so much time in isolation. I'm pretty sure my pep talk telling him to embrace the awkwardness helped. Well, let's get to it. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the following episode, Leading with Empathy and Understanding the Customer Experience, Small Business Edition with James Varghese. My guest today is James Varghese. James is a product manager with FinTech Customer Experience at Intuit in Mountain View, California. How are you doing today, James? Doing great, MG. Thank you so much for having me today. So excited to have you here today. So James and I have been friends for a really long time. We actually met at Drexel University back in the day. I believe you had bleach blonde hair at the time. Uh, there I, was a, a point in time where I had bleach blonde hair, sure. I, it was the early aughts. You know how we did. I, I believe <laughs> I had bleach blonde hair at some point, but we would end up becoming better friends after college through some of our mutual friends. Um, we've always been like the loud social ones, the the organizers, you know, the ones getting everybody together, uh, the ones with spreadsheets. So um, you are originally a New York native, but are currently living in California. So when when did you end up moving from East Coast to West Coast and and what prompted the move? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So I moved to California in July of 2011. Uh, so I just celebrated 10 years of being out in California. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible to think about how much has happened, uh, you know, not just in the past, you know, year or two, but like that 10 year span. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in New York. I was raised uh, in the suburbs in a place called Rockland County. Uh, it was great. I had a great upbringing and I went to Philadelphia for, for university studied marketing and finance and moved back to New York. Uh, I boomeranged from Philadelphia back to New York. And I kind of saw the um, progression of my career, even when I was there by like my friends. Like I saw some friends that were a little bit older and you know, be like, could I see myself doing what they're doing? Uh, and over the years, uh, as I was in New York after college, I saw myself leaning more and more towards working in a career in technology. Uh, so with that, that kind of spurned that idea of, well, maybe I should be in California, maybe specifically Silicon Valley. And at the time, you know, New York uh, still is a, a financial hub, 
there's definitely a lot more tech now there than there was 10 years ago. Um, but I always saw it as this is part of my dream and I have the ability to do this. So go chase that dream. Love it. And then you and your wife and your kids came back uh, for a brief visit, like right before the lockdown. Um, mm. I, you know, I guess that was the last time we saw each other. Uh, yeah. But we, we were chatting because I had started my business, you know, MG, the venue specialist, you know, it had been probably just under a year. And you mentioned your role at Intuit and that you work with small businesses. And you said, hey, let's set up um, some quarterly meetings to kind of talk about, you know, my experience as an entrepreneur and different mentorship opportunities and networking opportunities. Um, you know, what one of my favorite parts, not just getting to chat with you on a regular basis, but also getting to see your glorious pandemic hair has been wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it's coming in. So what, how long have you been in this particular role? And, um, you know, what, what has this experience been like from your end? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've been part of the CX team at Intuit for about two years now. Can you, and, can you define yeah. for our listeners what CX means? Sure, sure. So customer experience, uh, that okay. specific, you know, role that I have you talk to different people in different organizations, it can mean a lot of different things. But the way that we look at it is that we're responsible for how customers see our products in market before they even become customers all the way through when they're using it and when they need help. So that touches on, you know, me actually partnering really closely across the entire organization. Uh, you know, everything from product managers for specific products that I work, out, work on, work with, um, all the way to support agents, you know, and these could be support agents, um, you know, for, for different products, uh, different parts of products. And given that Intuit does have so many different offerings, I get to see so many of those different pieces. Was I able to help inspire anything? When it came to our conversations, a million times because there's no way <laughs> glad I could be of service that yeah I mean like th this was definitely uh it's eye-opening right and this kind of leads into that empathy piece like how do I be a small business owner and understand the challenges that you face in my role I'm not a small business owner right I don't have the same things that uh you have to kind of worry about on a day-to-day -day basis the tools that you use the customers that you need to get the vendors that you need to work with, all these things are things that I don't think about on a day-to-day, -day, but are in your life. So the best way for me to understand that is by having conversations. And how much it's changed as well over the last, you know, couple of years of having my business. There's never been kind of like a normal time or a set time. It's, you know, with year one, it was, I was, you know, growing the business and walking mm -hmm. into 2020 with all the optimism in the world just to have all that crumble to pieces and having to, okay, the what's next. And, you know, 2021 has also been an absolute roller coaster as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how these quarterly meetings go <laughs> moving forward into 2022. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that we can still continue to have them. I know, you know, things come up and life gets busy and, and for, for me, I think it's also, you know, we, we talk about this in our meetings. Like, it's like therapy, right? Like, it, yeah, you, absolutely. You, yeah. You, you get that opportunity to see like, oh, I have grown. I have learned. I have done things. And when we look back on old notes, it's like, whoa, like that was the start of this. And here I am six, nine, 12 months later. How far have I come? And I'm, I'm glad you said it's like therapy because there's there's a couple things where you know, as an entrepreneur, you're kind of siloed. And so being able to find the right communities and groups to help you learn and grow and, you know, just to be around people. Cause again, we're very social people and we've been stuck at home. So also with working with an actual therapist, that's, you know, you're starting from one end and they make notes and it's, you don't realize that as you're going through it until you kind of look back three years later and realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm in a very, I'm in a much better place than where I was when I initially started. Right. And, and I think that is a huge part uh, for me personally. Like I was an analyst early on in my career and measurement is such a big part of it. And I think a lot of times we just jump into things, but getting a baseline, understanding where you're at today, where you want to be is, you know, that goal. And then how do you track towards that? So that when you get there, you'd be like, 
all right, did I actually hit my goal? Did I overachieve it? Did I underachieve it? Where did I mess up? What can I take with me next time to figure out, well, what could I have done better? And this kind of goes back to the giving part of it. It's like, well, I just spent all this time going through that. How do I then help mentor somebody else that's about to start that journey? Well, you mentioned goals. So that segues perfectly into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. When I, um, I, I had asked you to be a guest on the podcast because you know, I just, I, I wanted to have guests on that I le- love having conversations with as well as just have like really interesting stories and, and fascinating experiences. And you said that you actually had being a guest on a podcast um, on your life goals spreadsheet. And I'm like, what is a life goal spreadsheet? Tell me more. Cause I've, I've never really been a five-year, 10-year plan like it's very difficult for me to plan out that far when things change so much especially over these last couple of years um but I did you know I know I set myself like a list of 10 goals that I wanted to try and achieve and work through in 2021 but yeah you put it in a spreadsheet so tell me tell me more about your life goal spreadsheet and how that kind of came about I think the big part of that is realizing that no one else is going to do it for you. You know, all those things that you have that are important to you, uh, you're really the one in control of it, right? And, they, and there's constraints, there's there's time, there's money, there's location, there's all these things that can uh, get in the way of you achieving those goals. But I think the first thing is really just writing it down, you know, and saying, this is what I want to achieve. Now we can go through the acronym of like SMART goals. And this is something that's really popular among corporations. Um, you know, I've been, I've been in corporate America for the better part of 20 years now, if you include, you know, the time that we had in co-ops uh, mm-hmm. in, in college. And, you know, it's such an important part to, you know, own that for yourself. And, you know, when I, when I speak to SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-based So, you know, I'm not going to go through every single part of that, but I think having that spreadsheet for me, you know, shows that these are the things that are important to me over a period of time and where it fits into the next thing that I'm going to do. So let's back it up. Like I moved to California back in in 2011. Uh, In 2010, I went to a wedding in Sonoma in in wine country, and that kind of sealed the deal for me. Like I knew I wanted to work in tech, um, but I did it right. Like I rented a convertible. I had a great time. Uh, and I saw that as I see my life here now, right? Like this is, this is helping me kind of understand what can I do, uh, with my future that's different than what I'm doing right now. So all the little pieces that I had along the way to get there, you know, really built up to that. I'm booking a one-way ticket on July 3rd to move to California, but there were so many of those little pieces. I think once you see that that big goal, how do you then chunk that out and say, these are the parts that are going to help you get there? Some of the things might directly attribute to it. Other things are more ancillary or they'll just help you with other situations that could benefit from it. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use another goal. Even before that, I had this goal of like, well, I want to live on Wall Street when I'm 23. Well, like, why did I want to do that? Well, it sounded cool at the time, right? And How old were you when you set that goal? Because I definitely no, remember... That- um, I, I know you had mentioned in our, in our talking points document about like university 101, mm-hmm. which, you know, the second that you start Drexel, especially as a business major, it's like, this is how you write a resume. This is how you do a job interview because, you know, you're, you're in school for nine months and then you're going on your first job interview to work for, you know, a large company. Yep. And I, distinctly like I found it I've I've referred back to it several times because I find it hysterical that 18 year old Mary Grace thought that you know by the time she was 30 she was going to be married with two kids and be you know a pharmaceutical sales rep making a ton of money Mm -hmm. and as I would go through college like that completely went out the window you know co-ops taught me what I didn't want to do with my life and so maybe that's where I kind of got the you know, anti-five-year goal because it's just going to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I am always indebted to the Drexel Co-op program for saying like, okay, corporate America is not the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Cubicles are not the right fit for me. Yeah. What am I doing with my life? And, you know, it took me, and it, it, you're able to have, you know, a different series of where you want to go. So I, I definitely 
empathize with the okay 18 year old james is like i'm gonna work on wall street at 23 now did you get to work on wall street at 23 not specifically on wall street i worked with a technology company that dealt with real-time market data so i was again like you know in the thick of it adjacent uh, <laughs> yeah i was i was uh wall street adjacent sure um but it was a great experience for me to see what that was like and i my first job actually one of our shared friends his uncle actually hired me um so even that like looking at how i even got the job you know all about who you know and relationships it helps for sure but i think they also saw that i was hungry um you know and and even even that first job that i had i just met up with my 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 first boss um at, at one of those companies um about a month ago so like keeping those connections, he's actually one of my best mentors. Uh, I've known him since 2006 and he's guided me even throughout my, uh, you know, relocation to California. Uh, so having someone like him has really helped me. And I see that value in being a mentor because he's been a mentor to me. How can I then pay that forward? Uh, to your point about what I thought I wanted. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I made that goal after seeing like certain movies when I was a child, you know, like, and when I say child, I mean, like a teenager, and it, you know, really um, has that air of, of New York, I don't want to say like, oh, yeah, I saw Wall Street, and I wanted to be Gordon Gecko. It's like, no, I, I didn't really want to do that. But I really wanted to be part of that New York story. And having, you know, grown up close to the city and spent time there. I, I saw myself as being like, this is one of the things I want to make sure I at least experience and cross off my list. Um, I'm not going to say I did everything that you could do. Um, I had a good time and I learned a lot and it set me up for where I am today. Because you were, you, you grew up in, in tech, was it technically New York or was it technically North mm-hmm. Jersey? It was technically New York. Um, okay. I, I, I'm not going to be uh, too sore about that. I know. Like, I'm reflecting, exactly I'm just reflecting back on, um, <laughs> I think you you and Ellie got married only a month and a half after Bob and I did, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you had one of the I I laughed because a lot of the North Jersey weddings are very similar where I mean it's more or less a meal that you're serving during cocktail hour. It is a crazy amount of food. And yeah. then okay, now we're gonna sit down and have a three-course plated dinner. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? All right, sounds good. But the photo booth was also a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we we, we did it right. And I think it was it was a technically in North Jersey, but maybe the was. hotel was in New York. And yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we were really close, like pretty much dance with the, with the the border of New York and New Jersey. And that but, was uh, right near yeah. your hometown. Is that? Yeah. Okay. And yep, so how, totally. how quick is the commute into, into Manhattan? But I guess it depends on what you part know, you're going to. And, and that's where like, you know, I, I boomeranged from, you know, Philly to New York. And then, you know, in New York, I lived in New York city for a little bit and I moved back to my parents' house. So it was rough. It was like an hour and a half door to desk. And, you know, you take buses and trains and, and, you know, the path and, and whatever to get to where you need to go. And that took a toll for sure. Um, that was another one of those, you know, do I make that, that, you know, do I want to live back in the city again? Is that going to help me? Like, is this going to actually be, you know, if I lived in the city, would I move to California? You know, I think right. about that a lot. Like if I stay there, like would I have not left. Right. And I think moving back to my, my, my folks house in Rockland County, actually did it's it set me up yeah saving money also spending money um but you know i think i I was able to do some of those things on my on my list of like you know hey i want to go to certain places i want to go back to europe and travel for 10 days with a a good buddy of mine i want to like you know travel around the country um you know even visit california uh when i was living at home i think that would be a little bit harder if i was living in the city at that time as well So what um, is with the life goals worksheet, I assume that this is all personal and professional, like it is like every aspect of your life. Does it include, you know, your role as a a, a parent and as a husband, or is it a little bit more career focused? I would say it's, it's more career focused. The, the family goals that I have, I'm not going to say that we have a shared spreadsheet with my, my wife and I, um, but we have ideas and and that kind of goes back to like, how we've approached parenting during the pandemic, having a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old right now, you know, consider at the beginning of the pandemic, they were, you know, about two years younger, right? And, um, you know, what does that, you know, look like now um, versus then? And 
everything from finding actual childcare to maintaining our full-time jobs, working from home, uh, not having that, um, you know, ha- not having friends to hang out with, not right. having the kids to go to like birthday parties and play dates and all that stuff. That was something that we couldn't do. So how do we adjust? And, you know, it was, it was a challenge. It's still stressful. Right. So, you know, how do, how did we adapt? And I think one of the bigger things is like, we will get through this. You know, that, that's one of those, like, we will make it and we're going to make those decisions that say, this is something that we're doing now that's going to set us up for something better in the future. Um, you know, the, the fact that I have had dinner with my family, you know, pretty much every night since the pandemic started is a blessing. Yeah, what and were I your ha- commutes I have to like, like from like before? Because um, I know uh, Ellie was commuting into San Francisco, correct? Yeah, she was. And we're fortunate that we live close to public transit and she could shoot in and out, you know, within 40 minutes. But with like kids, for example, you need to do drop offs and pickups and be close by if something happens. Um, I was commuting uh, to Mountain View, which could be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. So and that's one way like it it could just depends on the time of day. And uh, if the, the weather's not cooperating or if there's accidents or whatever it is. So really, like, I, I look at the, the age that the kids were, and I know it's like a challenge for, for every age group, but the fact that we were able to, you know, be there for their first steps, you know, listen to their first words. I look at that as like, this is probably the, the thing that we wouldn't have seen if we were just, you know, if there was no pandemic. Um, I, I don't want to make light of this last couple of years in terms of like, oh, well, the silver lining, it's, it's not so much that, but like, that's one of the things that has changed the way that we view, well, what's the future goal? Like what, what's going to actually be the way that we walk them to school or send them to a specific Montessori or like put them back into daycare or like what activities they want to do. So for example, like, uh, and my wife's so good about this. As soon as they opened up recreational activities from the County, we got them back in. So our weekends, you know, we, we have swim and we have ballet. My, my daughter just started ballet last weekend and she's so excited and you see that light in her eyes. And that's that childlike wonder that you think only kids have, but it's one of those things that I think we as adults, we forget that we can still get that feeling. And oh, the simple and simple oh. in certain things. I, you know, last year, our nature work remote to Maine, I've, I don't think I've ever cared about fall leaves changing colors or nature as much as I did a year ago, but it's, you know, we have to find those silver linings in such a awful time. It's, we have to find ways to laugh and entertain and find joy because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what keeps us sane and that's what keeps us going. And I'm glad that not just you and Ellie, but your kids are able to to participate in activities once again that that bring them joy because it's it's just been this collective trauma and yeah. you know that's that's why I started this podcast in the first place was to be able to share stories about what other people are going through and you know this leads me to my my next topic of you and I both care so much about empathy being empathetic and just, you know, it's a theme ongoing, not just for my podcast, but in my personal and professional life. So, you know, tell me more about how empathy shows up in your life. Yeah. And and I think about those different stages in my life and how important it was to consider, you know, not just how I was feeling, but, you know, how someone else is feeling. And, to really be there with them. Uh, one of the, one of the best um, exercises that I did at a, a job in the past was, you know, fill out this questionnaire, but keep in mind when you're filling this questionnaire, think about when everything's good, like when sun's shining and, and you're all, you're all good. And it was a, a few questions of like how you would behave when these things happen. Uh, they give you the same exact questions and they're like, now imagine everything's falling off the tracks and you know, you, you have to imagine yourself, well, how do I respond when things aren't really going my way or things are chaotic or things are uh, out of your control? How are you going to behave? 
And I think that helps ground you in terms of, well, how do you understand how someone else is dealing with something when you're actually not them? This has actually been one of the biggest parts of why I'm really excited about what I'm doing today at Intuit, because I really have that as part of my like core focus is really understanding what customers are going through and they're experiencing with our products. Um, looking at it from like a, a, a personal point of view, uh, and I'll open up a little bit about this. My wife and I, we met long distance. She was living in Florida and I was living in California and we just serendipitously met uh, two months after I moved to California in 2011. So because you, you know, opened of, up, you took a chance on love. I did. You, I did. You, it was one of the dating sites and didn't you just completely re, like you knew what you, you know, you knew, you knew the type of person you were looking for, but then you just remove all geographical parameters. <laughs> and it's like, hello yeah. world. <laughs> I, I did. And I, and uh, this was uh, a dating app back in the past this was before the days of Tinder. And they had a really great blog actually. And, and again, I was an analyst when I signed up for that service and their blog had so many insights about people's habits, you know, with that data of like, well, are they using Android or iOS and, you know, whatever interest that they had. Um, but yeah, we had a really high like match rating and, um, you know, we, we kind of just said, all right, this is something that we want to try out. And we met and uh, I'll, I'll never forget you know, standing in my kitchen in January of that, that, you know, that year uh, where, she, you know, Ellie was basically like, Hey, listen, like, you know, this is, this is the time for us to either say we're going to do something and be together or not. And I had to look at it from her point of view. I was like, yeah, we're not going to be friends. Like I'm not going to like, you're in Florida, I'm in California. Yes, and I saw my life going one of two ways with her and without her. And I, I looked at it. I was like, no, I, I want to be with her. Um, but from, from her point of view, I like I had to be like, yeah, this is not going to work out. Like, and, and that was one of those, like, you know, maybe heavier times of like, uh, of empathy, right? Like I had to be like, well, what is she going through right now? Does she think that there's something real here or not? And like, we're both taking a risk and this is love. And this is, there's a lot going on there. If I want to look at it from a point of view of like, you know, I'm a mentor for, um, with a company called Global Mentorship Initiative. And as part of that, I get to help underserved uh, students um, around the world. And I, I was matched up with a student in Jamaica. Uh, we finished our first course, our first 14 session uh, program last May. I just started uh, a new mentorship uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I look at that as, you know, how can I help you by understanding what are you going through as an undergrad who's developing an idea of what your future is going to look like? Um, you know, you, you mentioned University 101, not all students have that opportunity. You know, not mm -hmm. everyone knows how much work goes into developing a crisp resume, being able to express your ideas and your success, you know, uh, events and accomplishments, even failures. So the, these are things that we were pretty much granted. And I think it's something that a lot of, especially undergrads don't have the ability to say, I'm comfortable doing these things. That's going to help me get a job, get a promotion, network, all those, all those different areas. Uh, you know, what happens after college? So that that's one specific area, you know, I would say as, as far as like, how does empathy come into my, 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 my giving um, uh, for that mentorship at work for sure. I mean, like that, that's, that's one of those, we, we hear the voice of customer, uh, we, we collect it from many different places. And like, you know, I said earlier in our call, like I'm not a small business owner, but I have to step in the shoes of one to understand, well, what really matters to you? Why is this a problem? How do I fix it? Well, is this actually the problem that you're having or is it something else? There's all these questions that come up and asking why uh, is, is so important, but then stopping and listening. Just, just don't talk. We have two ears, one mouth. Listen. <laughs> and that's, that's one of those things. I, I think active listening is one of those areas also that we aren't really taught, but you can tell when you're speaking with somebody and they're not listening to you. They just want to say what they have to say because they have to say it as opposed to, well, I'm going to take in some information, understand what's going on, see what that you know, relates to with what I have to say. 
And then we can have a conversation as opposed to like, I'm talking, you know, at you as opposed to with you. And that's one of the things, you know, my, my role as a venue specialist, I feel like I am continuously getting better and better at my active listening because I do have to ask so many questions of my clients to figure out what is their story? What are they looking for? It's, it's just a very stressful. It's supposed to be fun and joyous, but at the same time, you know, all my clients are so stressed by the time that they come to me. And so, you know, taking them in, making them feel comfortable and, you know, letting them know that everything's going to be okay. Like I'm Mm -hmm. here to help you. Um, And I think it's very similar to the conversations that we've had. I feel like you ask me so many, again, just like therapy, like you're asking me these thought provoking questions and I've appreciated that approach because I know you know, with both of our roles, like we're taking notes. And I think you record conversations too, that I've realized that another silver lining with all of my consultations being over Zoom, being able to record our conversation. So instead of me having to take notes like a crazy person, I'm able to, again, ask all the questions and actively listen and then go back and take all of my notes, pause the recording. So that way I'm just giving them the best service possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's work, right? That That's something that uh, some people wouldn't shy away from because it does actually take a toll on you, uh, on you, the listener, because kind of going back and being like, well, what did I say? What did I mean? Do I need clarification? How, what do I do with this now? I think that is the important part. And, and for all of these things, having a, an idea of what good looks like, you know, what, how do you know you're done? That's one of the hardest parts. I think a lot of times we don't define that when we're thinking about, you know, goals, right? Like getting back to that goal thing is, you know, you have, uh, you know, the, the specific part, like this is exactly what I want to do. Um, all the way to like, it's time bound. I'm going to do it by this date. Right. Um, when we, when we think about that and, and put some structure around it, it changes the way we approach it. It means something. And that right there is something that I think anyone will recognize when they're having a conversation with you, because you're not just having the conversation just to have it. It means something. And one of the things that's helped me with any sort of goal setting, regardless of how I'm approaching it, I definitely agree with the writing it down like that, that just puts it, it, it makes it real. And mm-hmm. I think you're, there is some sort of statistic that says you're X percent more likely to follow through if you write it down. But what I have to always get reminded on is breaking it down into manageable chunks. Mm-hmm. So I remember um, a year and a half ago, I was um, another one of my guests on season two is my friend Liz Einhorn, who owns her own company. And she led this workshop in February of 2020. And oh, I can't, I don't remember if it was like goal setting and I was specifically like, okay, I want to set up an entire social media calendar for all of 2020. And because that was such a huge goal, I wasn't doing it because it's like, oh, seems like a lot of work. Like I would just push it off and push it off. But then it's like, well, why don't you just start with like a month or start with a week that when you're starting in these like smaller manageable pieces, then it's a lot easier to go through um, and actually accomplish that goal instead of overwhelming yourself because I'm also a classic overthinker and <laughs> overthink everything. And it's helpful when someone can pull me out of my own way. <laughs> Uh, I hear you. And uh, I, I was fortunate to work at a Swedish startup years ago. And one of my last uh, visits there, I got to sit down with our, our VP of engineering, um, fantastically talented man. And he saw me. And at the time I was actually a product manager there as well. And he saw like how much I was trying to take on. And he's like, James, I, I see what you're trying to do, but I have to ask you a question. How do you eat an elephant? And I was like, dude, what are you talking about, man? Like, come on. And he's like, well, you don't just put the whole thing in your mouth at one time. You cut it up into little pieces. And I was like, why would I eat an elephant? And again, like I was, I couldn't, I couldn't get over myself. Right. So I use that a lot to say, all right, I'm going to start with this little piece. 
a little moose bouche and then, you know, work my way through. And that's really been helpful as far as like taking that first step. Cause that first step is usually the hardest, you know? Yep. And I met, I mentioned like, I go to swim class with my, my son now and seeing him jump into the pool. I can't imagine what that must feel like, you know, but we, we actually feel that on a regular basis now, you know, we're, when we do things that are new, that is that, you know, similar feeling of, I don't know what's in there, but I'm going to have to do it. And to see him jump in, be happy, splashing around. It's like, that's what I could be. But I, I would never do that or never know what that feels like unless I jumped in. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So one, one of the other goals that you and I have both set forth for ourselves is around blogging. Yeah. But I know you've done it in the past. Like I, know how important uh, blog posts are to my business, to my mm -hmm. SEO. And I even, when I was reading through some of your notes, I like, I think James and I need to be blogging accountability partners because uh, I think <laughs> this is something that I need moving forward. Um, but tell me more. I know you're, you're kind of getting set up for this Q1 of 2022. What, mm -hmm. what is your approach or what, what can you share with us about um, upcoming blogging? Yeah. And, and for me, it was, well, where do I do it? You know, getting my website up, jamesvargis.com, that was a saga in itself. But now that I have it, it's something that I, you know, feel proud of. And I own that. And that's my, my, I don't want to use the word my space, but it's, it's my, my site. Right. Um, but without Tom, <laughs> without Tom, right. So Tom's out there. I was like, my, can I say my space? Yeah. Yeah. I can still say it. Um, so when I, when I look at that, I look at it as like, well, I'm controlling, you know, how people will perceive me out in the world. And it's not just, oh, here's my LinkedIn. Here's my resume. Here's my jobs. Um, who am I? And what do I stand for? Right. I think that I want to make sure that was clear on there because you can't always get that from a LinkedIn post or, or whatever. Um, so I wanted to have some personality in there, but now, you know, as I think about how that's evolving, it's going from like more observational to thought leadership. And like, that's what I want to do in FY22 from going from, oh, you know, um, being in CX, I see these things in the market. Um, where do I think it's going? Why do I think that's important? And, you know, obviously this is all about board when it comes to like the work that I do into it. I'm actually doing like my own personal, you know, my experience with ButcherBox or Peloton or Geico or Metro Mile or whatever it is. These are the, the brands that I use and I rely on. Um, and that is, I think for everyone, it's an empathy building exercise because now you can see, oh, here's what I went through. Uh, but even before that, like, why did I reach out in the first place? Why did I need help? Why was I using them? Why did I rely on them? Once you realize what role something or someone has in your life, then you kind of get a little bit more insight into, well, why is it important that they deliver for you? And this kind of goes back to the priorities that we have across all those different things that we, you know, consume in our, in our lives of, well, I can't have this get messed up. Like, this is really important for me. Um, if, if, if you knew how important something was to you, if you were getting help from somebody and they knew that as well, they would treat you differently. Right. And I think that's one of those things, you know, when, when someone asks for help, if someone asks you for, for help, it's, it's not always just the one thing that they're asking for. There's bigger things that they're, you know, that's going on in their lives. That's what I want to get to. Right. And, and we, we throw this term around as far as like lifetime value, right? Like what is the impact on my life? How much time does this take up? Is there actually value there? And that's part of the blogs that I'm going to have in the future to say like, this is something that I can't live without. Right. Like that, that's what I want to get to, but flip that over to people. And that is also a big part of this, you know, past year is like, you know, are, are these uh, individuals in my life adding to my life, you know, or, or, you know, is it something that is uh, detracting from my growth, my potential, you know, where I, where I need to be. And, it, and these are hard conversations to have sometimes, um, but it's, it really goes back to your mental health. Like this, you know, the world that we live in is extremely polarized. And I think one of the harder parts about this, this year has been like, well, I have to make decisions on protecting myself and my family. And I know I'm kind of like darting around on different, like different points right here, but this kind of goes back to, um, like the, 
what's real in life. And again, like if you can't take care of yourself, you can't, if you can't, then the, the airplane analogy is like, put your own mask on first before taking yeah, care of somebody else. Absolutely. I use that a lot. And it's, it's really like, you gotta, I can't take care of somebody else if I'm falling apart. Right. Absolutely. So like be, be strong for yourself, understand what you need to get, you know, um, to, to at least give help. And a lot of times we don't realize the assets that we have, uh, as far as like either, you know, skill, money, time, whatever that may be. Um, but then giving it, how does that make you feel as an individual, the impact that you've had on others, are they now able to give that's that, you know, kind of network effect of, of empathy and help, right? Like you, you know, that what you do for somebody else how is that going to impact not just their lives, but the lives of others from your help? And you can't drink from an empty cup. That's another saying as well. Really you try. Make yeah. sense. It's, <laughs> um, you know, the, these last two years has forced, I think, a lot of us to remove what isn't serving us and to try and decrease as much toxicity as possible. And you know, just remove ourselves from certain situations that, you know, we, we no longer need to be a part of. And, um, you know, whether it's friendships, relationships, just any, anything that just isn't serving you, it's, it's, I feel like the power of no has come to me so much easier these last couple of years than ever before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I will continue to <laughs> keep that I, moving I forward. I was, I was thinking about a quote this morning and it's from a Beastie Boys song. Um, I don't know if it fully relates to what we're talking about here, but I'm going to share it anyways. And uh, the quote was, um, darkness is not the absence of light. It's, oh, sorry, darkness. Is, and I totally just butchered that. Let me just start that over. Um, <laughs> so there's this quote by, in the Beastie, by a Beastie, Boys, <laughs> uh, in the Beastie Boys song. Um, and it goes something like, darkness is not the opposite of light it's the absence of it mm -hmm. and i think about that a lot it's like oh yeah you got a point right and when you take yourself out of certain situations and say am i better off for it and you can say that decision of yes i am it, it gives you that calm and now you have that energy you have that capacity to go do other things and that to me is living your potential well, so one of the, the things that, that we also have in common is we attend a lot of weddings. <laughs> uh, you were actually, uh, back in our single days, you came with me as a friend uh, to my friend's wedding at the Bear mm -hmm. Creek Resort. We had a wonderful time. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, you know what? I Because typically, even when I was single, I was fine like, going by myself. But because yeah. I was in the wedding, they gave me a plus one. And I'm like, you know what? I bet James has a really fun wedding date. And especially I didn't have to worry about um, like, you could still go off and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Like I could have a, a fun date, but at the same time, like, I, I think you were interested in, in one, one particular female. I was interested in another male. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, I, I know that kind of 2008 to uh, probably through the next five or six years, we had a bunch of weddings. We got married the same year. Yeah. Um, and now this is all coming back together. We haven't been to a wedding and at least I haven't been to a wedding in, in a couple of years. And we have a black tie formal wedding coming up mm -hmm. at the yep. October. So by the time your episode airs, the wedding will have already happened, but I know you're getting your first break probably in a while from your, your sweet children. And <laughs> You get to get all dressed up and head to a fancy pants manor in Sleepy Hollow, New York. So, yep. oh, are you and Ellie going to wear Halloween costumes uh, during the, the weekend festivities? I can't say anything about that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's just, I can't, can't bring up. Leave uh, it. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, I, it became more real because I just got fitted for my tux uh, this past Sunday. Uh, so I'm in the wedding and this is maybe my 15th or 16th wedding that I'm actually in. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, if you, if you lifetime that, so I'm, I'm fortunate, like, you know, that, that I've been asked by, by my close friends to be part of that special day for them. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I, I also, I do feel this weird anxiety as well. I'm just rusty. 
Like I, I haven't seen people in a while. So I think that's also giving me a little bit of uh, uneasiness. Anxiety, a little, how a do little. we, how do we jump back in? Yeah. And I feel like I'm going to stumble over my words and I'll just say something and be like, why did I say that? Uh, but see, like, I know what's going to happen. And Go like, for it. Who cares? I'll, I'll, We're all I'll be friends. Okay. And that's, You're going to be fine. Part. Yeah. I, and, and, oh, I, I think I we, like, <laughs> we often put ourselves in in much higher regard or like we'll put more pressure on ourselves than we really need to and it's like it's fine you're You're gonna be just fine because i i think that there was a lot of i actually wrote a blog post about this um and i think april or may as i was getting fully vaccinated and um feeling more comfortable about being around friends once again and the point i wanted to drive home was accept everyone's comfort level that some people are going to be less comfortable than others. And it might take, you know, sometimes you're not ready to just jump right into the water. Maybe you want to dump your toe, uh, dip your toe in first. And so even, you know, the story that I shared on the blog post was I had, I guess maybe in April or, or so I'm like, Oh, you know, we haven't done a ladies happy hour in person. You know, we've done it virtually a couple of times. Like would everyone want to get together for some time, you know, in late May when everyone's fully vaccinated and my one friend, Sarah, she said, can I sit in the corner and not talk to anybody? And, you know, in addition, can I wear sweatpants? And <laughs> <laughs> it's, there are just kind of certain elements. And I think, especially like with you having such young children, you probably were not going right out to the bars and doing indoor dining <laughs> because you have your, your little ones to worry about. And I think even like in those, that first month of kind of getting back out there and going, it, it, it it's, it is like riding a bicycle. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like you'll, you'll pick right back up on it. And I think you're probably just putting a little too much pressure on yourself, but embrace the awkwardness because, you know, ran into another friend of mine that it's like, Oh, I, I know you had a baby recently. Like what, what, what's the child's name? It's like, Oh, his name's Luke. I was like, Oh, is there any story behind that? You know, thinking you know, like, why did you pick Luke? And He's like, it's just a name. And it, so everybody at the table was making fun of me. It's like, did you, did you forget how to talk to people? And everybody's different about their story of like how they name their children or even, you know, their pet. Like I could tell you easily, like why I named my dog Briscoe. So, mm-hmm. um, I it's, you're going to be just fine. Thank you very, very much, MG. I, I think I'll be fine too. Um, it's just, uh, I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm also like, obviously there's a virus still around. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those, I still got to worry about a little bit. And, uh, I'm, I'm basically carrying around two Petri dishes with me. So, right. you know, that, that, that's a challenge in itself. Um, but I, I'm just looking forward to, you know, getting back out there. Um, I was fortunate to go back to the East Coast. Uh, I flew solo uh, at the end of August to celebrate a 10-year wedding anniversary of a friend of mine. Um, so I think just the the flying part, I think that was just good for me to be like, oh, this is pretty much the same except for wearing a mask. And having been on the on the West Coast for the last 10 years, I've done countless trips all across the country. So it's it's kind of old hat for me to be in an airport and just, you know, kind of zone out from parking my car to being in my my seat. Um, but now it's a little bit trickier. So we'll add kids into that mix and we'll add like, you know, being around the holidays and whatever. Like, so that that should be interesting. Well, I'm excited to see this this venue in Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow. I think it's going to be an awesome weekend and I'm looking forward to it. Um, and speaking of venues, I'd love to hear all about your favorite venue. Yeah, I, I had to think long and hard about this one, actually, because, uh, you know, the venue is not just the, the place itself, but who you're with and the time of your life. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, it's probably the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, for, <laughs> which is weird because I wasn't there for like a NASCAR event. Right. It was uh, EDC or Electric Daisy Carnival, and I went there three times. So the first time was with Ellie. Uh, she was in Florida. I was in California. We met in Vegas, and I also fell in love with her that year. It was 2012. It was fantastic. Um, but then I went there in 2013 and 2014. Uh, one of our good friends, actually one of the ones that's getting married uh, um, in, in a couple of weeks, 
him and I went together uh, a couple of times. Like he actually met up with us one year and I, I went to LA and I drove with him to, to, um, to Vegas. So like that definitely has a near and dear spot in my heart. Um, it was, it was the music, the people, and just, you know, being there was just incredible. Um, I, I, I still am really into, uh, you know, dance music. Um, there's actually a, a board right behind me that has a, a quote on it. Um, and it's from uh, a group called Above and Beyond. And they, they are by far one of my favorite bands. And um, the quote itself actually says, life is about uh, those moments you never forget. So I, I think about that a lot now. It's like, yeah, making memories, uh, and enjoying the, the time that I have and the ability that I have to do the things that I can do. Um, it's just so important to like reflect on that and be like, yeah, this is a, a part of my life that I, I don't want to forget. Beautiful. Well, James, can you let our listeners know how they can follow you? Sure. Um, so you can find me on my website, jamesvargis.com. Uh, there's a lot of great content there around uh, everything from you know my professional life to my thoughts on customer experience, uh, as well as I'm trying out uh, Amazon affiliates uh, just to see how that works out. Because again, I work with small businesses and many small businesses are trying this out. Like they're trying to say like, I'm trying to you know monetize my site. Um, so I signed up for an account and, um, you can check that out too. Again, it's all sponsored ads. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, James Fergies. Um, you can find me on Instagram and, uh, I think that's about it. Those are the ones I really, really uh, focus on. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad I was able to turn the tables today and ask you a bunch of questions and I love it. I am definitely excited to see, um, you and Ellie and everyone else in our black tie formal in a couple of weeks. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Follow Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram and check out all of our episodes on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Enjoy the rest of your day.